0: You can do everything you need in one location, from purchasing beats, to mixing and mastering, to distributing your music, to submitting to Spotify curators, to marketing your music, to running ads, to building websites, to creating merchandise, to whatever um, you want. You can do it all in one location without leaving the website. And that is really the big differentiator with Artist Public and everything else.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season three of Invest in Yourself, the digital entrepreneur podcast. I'm of course, Phil Better, and this season is presented to you by Unicorn Incubator. Unicorn is the largest rural incubator accelerator of its kind in the world. Located in southwestern France, its mission is to give entrepreneurs and their families their lives back while helping them build game-changing technology startups. Startups in the company are provided with a complete ecosystem for success, with direct access to proven funding sources, top-notch legal and accounting representation, access to the world's most generous business incentives, and most importantly, a dedicated sales and marketing accelerator that will put a startup's product or service on the fast track to success. Hey everybody, welcome back to Investing in Yourself, the digital entrepreneur podcast. My name is Phil Better and I am your host for this episode. Today we have Nick Chinfigureon, the founder of Artist Republic, uh, which broke the mold this year with its debut of a new indie music business marketplace valued over at 5 million and counting. We get to talking about how Artist Republic's beta enrollment of over 30,000 users worldwide is proof that a dedicated marketplace hub was missing for music self distributors and boutique music labels. Nick shares some tips on how musicians can pick up momentum in a post-COVID world. So with everything opening up, this is a very important episode for you musician, musicians, I should say. And um, it's a great, great episode. Here's a bit more about Nick. Um, Nick has proven himself to be one of the most innovative young entrepreneurs in the industry. Being an early adopter of the entrepreneur mentality, Nick Launched several small entrepreneurial ventures throughout middle school and high school. We do discuss some of that. Um, uh, um, after the loss of his father, he was introduced to the inner workings of the music industry while initiating a charity concert series to raise money for cancer. The series entitled Club for Cancer was a catalyst to his prior firm. Northeastern Entertainment Solutions, which hosted local, regional, and national artists in over 50 different venues across the, the country. Um, as a student of Rhode Island's a Bryant University, Nick found success in college by launching NES360, a leading fan-based growth and marketing company. His experience with NES360 introduced him to working with over 500 clients worldwide. Interviews with these artists brought the problematic workings of the music industry to light. As a solution, he launched Artist Republic in 2018 and has assured a series of big developments for the company in 2020 and beyond um this was a fantastic interview to have and i am so excited for you guys to uh, listen to it uh please do uh listen to the end i have some uh, little hints and fun things to talk to you at the end so uh without further ado let's listen and meet nick the spiel and all that so uh nick mm-hmm. yeah. welcome to the show i would like a 30 second intro introduce yourself to my guests tell us a little bit about yourself not awesome. my guests, my listeners. You're my guest, Jesus.
0: <laughs> we're all we're all guests. We're you know. Yeah, we're there all. we go.
1: We're all guests um, in my home. That's how I'm doing
0: it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No. So what's up? Uh, my name is Nick uh, Nick Championi. I am the founder and CEO of one of the most disruptive music tech platforms, probably in the industry right now. Um, it is called Artist Republic, and you know I've been involved in the music industry for about nine years. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, you know, earliest I can remember, I was panhandling duct tape wallets to people in like fifth grade. And then, you know, it just grew from there. Um, probably started with birth. lemonade stands before that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, fell in love with the music industry inside and out. Um, you know, we could definitely go into that more, but, you know, fell in love with it ever since then. And, you know, since then, you know, since 2017, this company started to be a little, little seed in my brain. Um, and it literally grew legs and walked um to it grew legs and became a dinosaur um and now yeah this is this is what i do oh man it must be great doing what you love (laughs) yes i always say you never work a day in your life when you like do something you love yeah but you never work a day in your life when you work at a tech company you never work a day in your life when you work in the music industry, you really never work a day in your life when you love working for a music tech company. Damn. That you is. figured
1: out the secret to
0: life. <laughs> it is. It is the secret. It's the benefits of all. You get the funness of a tech company and you get the awesomeness of the music industry. No doubt. I,
1: I, as, a, as a friend who has a lot of musicians, like mm-hmm. just reading about what Artist Republic is doing and disrupting the game and helping those indie people grow. Yeah that is something that's like hit me right here. This is why I'm so happy to have you on because I'm going to, this episode's going to blast out to all my friends. I'm like, you have to listen to this episode. Hell yeah. Um, So you decided to, you started, like you said, hustling, uh, (laughs) duct tape made wallets to your friends (laughs) in in elementary school, which is, that is the ultimate like start for an entrepreneur. Like you're like, I want to make money. How can I make money?
0: Oh yeah. Dude, it was a business. I like, people were like text with their orders. I had some kids in other schools that would wholesale them off me. <laughs> They're like, yo, you buy them off me for five bucks. You sell them for 12. Like, dude, I was literally in like fifth grade and probably moving like a hundred, 200 bucks a week.
1: <laughs> Damn. You, were, you so are crazy. like the Gary V of the music industry. There we go. You're <laughs> the Gary V of the music industry entrepreneur from birth. <laughs> <Damn>. Yeah. <laughs> So, how did you get started with the music industry? Yeah. Like, why did you go specifically to that industry?
0: So, I got involved in the music industry kind of oddly. Um, so, it was my freshman year in high school. Um, I was deeply involved in um, in I don't know I don't know where you're from. I'm in um, Montreal, okay. so Canada. Okay. So, in the Northeast in the United States, um, Relay for Life is huge, um, and uh, so I was deeply involved in that because when I was in eighth grade, I actually lost my dad to cancer. And so I was deeply involved in Relay for Life. And my freshman year, there was this other team, and we were absolutely getting creamed. And uh, I was like, guys, we've always won. We've always been the biggest donors. We can't lose. And uh, I remember sitting back with one of my buddies. I said, listen, there's this whole music venue in our town. They haven't done anything in a while. What if we just rent them out and throw a banger? And uh, that was the plan. Um, that completely failed the first year. I ended up hosting it. The- same night as my high school had prom, like 10 of my friends showed up. Um, so came back the next year. Cause you know, obviously I went back to school mm-hmm. and just a little being a freshman throwing a party and a party of 10 people showed up to in a 500 capacity music venue. It was a little embarrassing. Slightly uh,
1: embarrassing. I could yeah. see, I could see the embarrassment.
0: But it's slightly <laughs> embarrassing. Um, so I really sat back and I was like, I'm going to prove all these kids. And uh, so the next year I ended up buying, I came back to the same venue. I bought like a hundred pounds of neon paint powder and just hosted the largest paint party that like this town has ever seen, and probably Connecticut had ever seen. <laughs> um, and uh, we ended up selling it out in about a week and a half. Damn. And I remember sitting there at the end of the night um, with like ten grand in cash in my hand, and obviously it was all being donated. Yeah. Um, but you know, but still ten, having
1: t- I, stacks of ten G, like yeah. you have
0: a stack of ten G's in your hand. I can. Yeah, pretty much, it was, you like, must have 15 been like eighteen years old, and I <laughs> used a stack of ten grand in my hand. And I was just like, "This is really fun." And I was like, I don't wanna, I don't, I don't wanna work a day job. Um, and so at that point, I opened up my first entertainment company, which was called Northeastern Entertainment Solutions. Now I came up with that mouthful of a name because yes. here's this 16 year old kid. And I'm like, what is gonna be the most legit name that no one's gonna question the fact that I'm 16 years old? Yeah. And so I came up with Northeastern Entertainment Solutions. It was like gold lettering. Oh. It was like Stratton Oakmont to some extent. <laughs> Like it sounded so legit and yet the company was so not. Um, And yeah, that's literally what I did for the rest of my high school career. I just threw, I looked back at them like at the time and I was like, these were concerts. Um, I look back at them now and to some extent, you know, some of the concerts we host were glorified house parties. (laughs) Um, And it was, we would just rent out these 200 to 350, 400, 500 capacity venues. Just get a bunch of local DJs, rappers, everything and just sell these, just move tickets. Um, Because the big thing for us, we were selling 16 plus, 18 plus, stuff like that. Everyone in Connecticut was 21 plus. So viewer, I was in high school at the time. So obviously I knew the high school market Yeah. and no one was doing anything. And you could charge 20, 25 bucks because parents are like, sure, get out of the house on a Friday night. Um and, me and mom wanna
1: have some special time. Go, go to this party. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And and you know, at that point I was just addicted. And obviously that led to a lot of stuff. Like I had some awesome opportunities on working with big concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked with uh when chain smokers were on tour, they called <laughs> us because they were like, you know, we need a local rep in Connecticut. I've had awesome opportunities with working. You know, technically crew on some of the concerts because we were one of the only companies that had uh, cryo capabilities. So, like, we had cryo cannons and Shit. all these crazy special effects stuff. Um, and so, like, if someone was coming on tour and they wanted cryo, they would just call us, and I would just be like, "Yeah, sure. Just give me backstage passes. I'll hook you up with cryo." Um, <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I don't need so, money. Just yeah. give me the backstage, and we're good. Well, cryo was so cheap. It's like yeah. forty bucks for a tank, and I already owned the cryo cannon. So I was like just give me backstage fast as We're good. And, and that just led, you know, to so much stuff. I met connections here, met connections there. Um, and that, and that's really how I got my start was all through just, you know, starting with pretty much glorified house parties. Um, and then, you know, go in literally music venues and then just growing it. There you go. That, that, that's great. Like, it's you. You provide
1: value one for these bigger names, and mm-hmm. you got something that you like. You didn't have to pay a cent for to get backstage, you made those connections with their publicists, their that's their key. record deals, and the artists themselves. And now you like, like you said, you were the go to guy for certain things, and you were repping them whenever they would come. They'd call you up, and boom, you would take care of it. So that's an awesome yeah. way. And and they carry
0: you like connections. I'm a big believer in connections Mm -hmm. I I think you don't go anywhere in life it it really comes down to who you know and also who knows you um and I'm a super big believer in that and there's so many connections that I've had from the early days of concerts that have just massively paid off um, to you know fathoms that I couldn't even fathom like it is (laughs) you know yeah literally um, it's just been you know Never doubt a connection. Always, I'm a big believer in do stuff for free. Um, yeah. don't chase money, chase value and be sooner or later, like money is the byproduct of value. So if you just chase value, the money will come. But if you chase the money, you'll never get the value. Yeah. Um and yeah, that's that that paid off very true in the music industry.
1: No, I no, doubt, because it's such a close-knit special community because you have the artists who are these creatives that generally aren't understood by the general Mm -hmm. public. And here you have like, you're helping them out. You're providing them value. You're not asking for anything other than a backstage pass most of the time. (laughs) And they're like, that's okay. That's 50 bucks or a hundred bucks on my pocket, but I don't have to pay for this rental. So yeah, here have two passes. Who cares? You know? And then like later on, they're like, okay, we need some bigger things. You're like, I can help you, but it's going to cost. And then they're like, yeah, no problem. You already came through for us. Boom. Well, we have no problem yeah. doing that thing. That's, that's awesome. And then what made you decide to go and disrupt the music game? Since you were already kind of not really disrupting, you were part of the music industry being an entret- uh, being the entertainment company.
0: So what made you decide to disrupt it? What made me disrupt it was how many people I met along the way. And seeing them get screwed over by the you know quote unquote machine, um, I hate that term. It sounds so like nineteen sixties, but like it was like they were the little, man, yeah, it to the band. <laughs> the machine. <laughs> like, come on. Um, but it's really what it was, you know. People were artists were because when I after the concert company, I ran a marketing company for a little bit um, in the music industry and. I had about 500 clients that were working with me. And like, for me, like I was their guy. And so if their manager screwed them over, they came to me. If their record label was screwing them over, they were coming to me. If they didn't know how to book a concert, they were asking me. And so I really started to see from, you know, my years of show experience, but also my years of working with these guys with their marketing, because with marketing, you're kind of a fly on the wall. You know, you work with them, but, You're not as integral, integral, integral as other pieces of their career. Um, You know, the marketing person is just there to literally get them to market. If They see results. They don't text you. Um, So you're really sitting there and they trust you because they're trusting you with their Instagram account passwords and Spotify accounts and all this stuff but you're not booking them shows. You're not getting their song on Spotify. Like if a song doesn't release correctly, you're not under the gun. You're like, it's on my uh, phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you're really able to see how the industry works inside and out without getting blamed for the, the missteps. And they also come to you because they know that you know the industry. And so if their record labels screen them over, they can't talk to their record labels. So they're gonna talk to going to talk to their next bet, best person, which is a guy running a marketing company that will represent music artists. And so after seeing that for so long of just artists getting screwed over, I sat down with my buddies because I was like, there has to be a better way to do it. And I know how to help them, but the numbers don't add up to me um, because a hundred bucks a month is really the max capacity um, that most independent artists are willing to spend on their career per month. Um, And I sat down with my buddy and I said, if I'm going to effectively manage a music artist, I can really only manage five a month can't live on 500 bucks a month. No. Um, and so I sat back to him, I said, but they still need the resources. And that's when we started brainstorming through the process of, okay, what resources does a record label or a manager provide that can't be removed from the human? And what we realized is every system in the music industry is run on technology. Everything is run on technology. When you sign your life away at a record label, you give them a USB, you email them your song and guess what? They sit there on their laptop, they upload it to a, a music distribution system and then they send it directly to the streaming networks. So why can't an artist use the same system? And that's really what Artist Republic came into question and said, why don't we just give the tech directly to the artist? Why is no one doing that? Like, you're using technology to create more inefficiencies when technology is created to make it more efficient. Um, and the music industry was just using it backwards. And so when I realized that, I basically sat back and I said, holy crap, like this is this is a behemoth. Um, but I knew that if we could do it correctly, it was going to shake up a lot of things. Um, yeah.
1: Damn. Yeah, and it's true. Like the old way of thinking because it's – I feel there's, we're in a shift right now Mm -hmm. in the world. We have the old way where technology is the bad person. And then you have us who have been born and bred into technology going, Mm -hmm. no, man, it it can help us. Like, look at all it can do. Like, like you said, with one tech, you're helping all these artists get distributed everywhere when they wouldn't have that opportunity. Whereas in the old way is like, no, no, you need, you need a manager, you need, you know, a record label, No, man, the records are gone. You can, how many, how many of them just upload to uh,
0: Spotify and make hundreds of millions of dollars and they don't even have a record deal? Exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, there, there are people making millions of dollars off of independent distribution companies like Artists Public. Um, And yeah, that's it.
1: So... At the core, what does Artist Republic bring? Like what, what does an artist, let's say I'm a brand new artist, I'm about to sign up. What do I get when I sign up with Artist Republic?
0: So that's the key. Artist Republic is the first ever 360 platform for the music artist. That's the big differentiator with us is traditionally in music tech there, because music tech's been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, possibly 20 years?
1: Probably since the 20, internet 20, was
0: born. years. Yeah. Napster. I mean, think about yeah. it. So, Napster was the first, yeah, tech system for yeah. people. So music been music tech has been around forever, um, but it hasn't been used effectively and the market hasn't been ready for it. Um, and really the way it ended up is you had individual websites doing individual services and each website doing a different piece of the pie. Now, picture it like this. If that was in brick and mortar stores, you would have a strip on LA and a music artist would walk here to get the graphic design. Then they would walk next door to record their song, next door to mix master their song, next door to produce it, next door to distribute it, next door to market it. And they'd keep going down and down the line. And then a record label comes out and goes, hey, you can sign with us. And in one building, you can get it all. You can get your managers, you can get your booking agents, you can get your marketers, your graphic design, your production, everything, and you never leave the building. And artists are like, yo, that's sick. That became what's called the 360 record deal. And in the music tech space, no one's done that. And that's really what artist public is coming in saying, hey, you can make one account on one website and never leave. You can do everything you need in one location from purchasing beats to mixing and mastering to distributing your music, to submitting to Spotify curators, to marketing your music, to running ads, to building websites, to creating merchandise, to whatever um, you want. You can do it all in one location without leaving the website. And that is really the big differentiator with artist Public and everything else. That's a, that's a huge,
1: that's super huge. Like you're, you're, you're literally disrupting the genre. I, I'm wondering, Have you ever, have you got any like negative feedback from like
0: bigger industry
1: people? Yes. Oh yeah.
0: Yes. I've got, I've got an industry. Well, so negative feedback is an interesting thing. Um, Like when I'm in investment rounds, when we're trying to get the company funded, um, you know, the music tech space, people don't like music tech. Um, You know, a lot of investors I talked to were just like, you know, the last company we invested in was Napster. Like, we're not ready. Like, we have battle scars. Like, people genuinely have battle scars from investing in music tech. Um, and, uh, but going off of that, you know, I have had some negative things. You know, I've had record labels and industry staple companies looking at us for investment and basically saying, we're not ready to put the nail in our coffin yet. Um, you know, we want to see what you do for another year because, if this is really going to be the nail in our coffin, then we need to pivot. And we actually do need to be behind you or else we're screwed. Um, I've gotten, you know, indirect, uh, you know, competitive kind of like hints that like we don't like you uh, from a lot of other companies, from tech companies, music tech companies, um, through, you know, indirect tweets and stuff like that. And I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. and I know that I knew from the start, like I knew the industry enough inside and out when I started it, that the music tech space, like people, and not the music tech space, the music industry alone, people take things personally. Yeah. Um, like if you step into this industry, like people take things personally, like if you step in and build a marketplace to compete with Amazon, Jeff Bezos is going to be like, all right, dude, let's play. Let's have some fun. <laughs> um, but like, if you step into the music space as a competitor, people are like, you're dead. Like you're going down. Like I'm destroying you. And just that's my goal. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, but I knew that coming into it. Um, I've always said that the music industry is one of those industries that will chew you up and spit you out before you even knew what happened. Um yeah. but that's also why I love it. Um, so like I'm here to stay. Um, <laughs> I'm you know here for the ride. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people are either gonna, you know, have to partner with us or
1: try and compete with you, but you already have the market share.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's the big thing with us. We're, we're just raking up market share um, very, very quickly. Um, It's
1: it's probably going to take the bigger guys a longer time to figure out how to do what you've done. And you're first to market with this thing and you're going after what is really good. The untapped market, the independent market, which is huge. Like, if you were going after the big stars, then you would have a a bigger fight on your hand, but you're going after the low hanging fruit, the ones Mm -hmm. that people don't believe will make money, but those are the guys who will end up blowing up. And if they're on your artist Republic, you know, it gives you more credibility.
0: Exactly. The bedroom producers, there's a hundred million independent artists across the world. And yet the industry is only valued at $2 billion. This industry is massive. Oh, it's massively undervalued. Oh yeah. It's, you're going <laughs> to, yeah,
1: it's insane. <laughs> oh, my God. And so when, you started this with the pandemic, right? You started, how long ago did you start artist Republic? So, and it's I... cur- Yeah. Let's go yeah, from I'm the, curious. from the start to now, like when did the, the idea to make a online platform, the tech thing mm-hmm. come to you?
0: So the idea came to me around the end of 2018 Um, hired my first developer actually around my birthday of 2018, so around October. Um, and from there, I then ran with that tech company, didn't really work out, hired another tech company. Um, and at that time I started building my own team because I didn't want to actually work with an agency. Um, I just needed to, to kind of get things off the ground. Um, I then got delivered December 22nd of 2019. I got handed our website um from the development company it was smoke and mirrors the whole thing was front end nothing worked functionally on the back end um and we were going to launch january 3rd and so we we screwed up by accident and actually put the countdown on our website as the wrong date we put it as january 13th said january 3rd so we had an extra 10 days <laughs> and so we little miracles <laughs> little miracles little miracles and um so me and of the developers one front end, one back end. obviously not technically me but i was there i don't code um, you're like i like this can we make this how do we make yeah. this <laughs> yeah that's me i personally still think development is magic yeah. um if you ask any of my developers i'm like hey can we throw a calendar in there there they're like yeah that's gonna take a week i'm like how it's a calendar they're like nick it'll be a week i'm like okay um but you so say- it would, yeah <laughs> It was like December 22nd and we pretty much just buckled down. We rebuilt the entire website pretty much from scratch. Got it live January 13th um, for an alpha test. We then did that, ran that, and then pandemic hits March we just go through an entire crap shoot. We lose developers. My lead developers in the hospital coding from his hospital bed with COVID. Um, badass. You old, better have gotten a, re- a raise for badass. that. <laughs> badass, yeah. Um, and so all this stuff. And we just went through brutal things. We had investor meetings in the middle of losing developers. Like it was, March was probably the worst month in the history of this company, knock on wood. Um, literally, this time I think this I think literally today last year um so bitch yeah yeah so and after that we came out of it you know we got our first investment and that's when things for us started turning around so when we were able to make the hires we needed get things we got the beta live May 3rd um so people came back from Memorial Day weekend and we're like oh what happened over here um I think it was Memorial Day weekend it was around memorial the weekend we went live. Um, pitched it to our lead investor. And he said, all right, I'm going to lead you guys through a seed round. So we let a seed round close that June 14th, 15th. Um, powered through until December. Um, closed another funding round, which we just closed out pretty much like last week. And now we're continuing to power through. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so, you know, it's only really been, I consider our launch May. Like that's where I consider it. So really, it's only been, because before May, we didn't have anything on the website. Um, so I consider it May. And so really, what is that, like nine months?
1: Yeah, not um, even a year yeah. and you're,
0: damn. Yeah, it's been, it's been a hell of a year. <laughs>
1: I'm surprised you still have hair and you're not gray.
0: That's, that's <laughs> what I'm surprised, because I would have been stressed the fuck out, not going to lie. I'll say this, I do get my sleep. That's you a good care. thing for me. Okay. Uh, I'm a big believer in sleep. Some days I eat it. Don't get me wrong. Um, when you have to you, have to, you have to. I have to get a minimum of nine and a half hours of sleep. I don't function on anything less than nine and a half Wow. Hours. But every other waking moment, I'm here. Yeah. Cause it's your baby. Yeah. Exactly. It literally is. It's a baby.
1: Wow. And so where <laughs> do you see, see it going? Like, wh- what growth do you hope to
0: have from this uh, amazing business? So in the most modest way, I genuinely want to change how the music industry works inside and out. Um, to some extent, like I'm not a big crypto guy, mm-hmm. but kind of like how, you know, blockchain really makes you question how things should work. I want our probably to be the same thing. Um, I'm not here to replace jobs. I'm not here to replace people. I'm not here to replace existing companies, um, I'm here to literally build a better industry. Um, so, you know, if people want to hop on board, let me know, call me, text me, email me, I'm here, let's partner. Um, that's not what, you know, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm literally just here to run, make a better industry. Um, and if people see that vision, a bunch of people do, um, you know, they hop on board with us, they partner with us, um, and we all grow together. And that's really my goal to, to whatever extent um, my goal is also global. Um, you know, the music industry in the United States is great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't get me wrong, but it's very oversaturated. Um, there's a lot of companies here. Yeah. So my big goal is, is changing everywhere. You know, we have a huge focus on Nigeria right now. Um, we have a huge focus on South Africa, India, Australia. And, you know, that's, a, that's definitely a big piece is we want to change it everywhere because music is global. It's not just United States. Yeah,
1: no, it, it's true. It's, and I think a lot of people miss that. Like, since they're so in their own bubble, they forget that we're part of a huge world. So yeah. your market is no longer this small little community that you're from. Like, for me, it's not just my province or my city or even my, my country, it's, I'm listening to all around the world and there's artists all around the world that need help because yeah. like, they don't have the infrastructure. Like you said, in Nigeria, they don't have, you know, the uh, universal or anything like that. So those yeah. artists, they they don't know how to do it because it wasn't built. And so you're you're coming in, you're like, here, I have this tech is pretty much what, you know, MGM or not MGM, but universal or Sony is mm-hmm. doing for you in your hand on your website. You know, that, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because we've actually thought the other way, like right now we're actually getting more micro targeted than we started big. And now we're going like small micro targeting. Like we just rolled out ads today for just the Southern band of the United States, um, trying to get more country artists on, um, basically saying, you know, let's do it. Um, cause we have, we have really strong with EDM and hip hop. Um, but we're an all genre platform. Yeah. You know, I don't just work with rap artists. I, listen to country music all the time. Um, I listen to punk rock and metal core and stuff like that all the time, but I also jam EDM and I jam rap music too. Um, so, you know, I want the platform to kind of be the same thing, but yeah, no, exactly. You know, there's, there's totally different markets and totally different things. And I also believe that, you know, for people listening to run a company, you don't dictate your market your market dictates you. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing for us. I never realized how big our market in Nigeria was until I looked back and realized that 52% of people that were distributing music through us were from Nigeria. And I was like, oh, crap. I screwed up <laughs> that one. Um, and I went back to the table. I was like, all right, we're going to Nigeria. <laughs> Um, and which basically meant just rolling out ads and, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, no, exactly. Like I didn't dictate that. I didn't pick, oh yeah, I want to be in Nigeria. The market in Nigeria was, we love artists Republic. So, okay. We love you too. When we're coming. (laughs) Um, yeah. Oh man, that's,
1: that's awesome. I, I love how you said like the market dictates your actions and how you respond to it. You can't choose the market and you're, and because you're bringing value, you're like, you're not chasing the money. You're providing everybody with value because you want them to succeed. That, that is the most important thing. I think I've interviewed like close to 40, 50 uh, entrepreneurs now. And pretty much the one single thing I got through all of them is provide value to your customer. Like it doesn't yes. matter if they pay you at all, just give them the value or at least help them get value out of what they're, you're using. And it does. And the money will flow from that.
0: I'm also a big believer in, I think there's a overcompensation of free nowadays and giving people super amount of value for free. Mm-hmm. To trip them in. I don't believe in that. I believe in super low prices for value. If you're trying to sell something, you want to sell something. So if you're trying to sell an ebook, don't give away half the ebook for free. Give half the ebook away for 99 cents. People that will take something for free most likely will pay a dollar. But there's something psychologically about getting someone who's going to pay a dollar Because nine times out of 10, they may pay $5. They may pay $6. They may pay $7. Just start them with 99 cents. Don't start them free. Um, Because free will get nowhere. You'll Um, just get guys kicking the tires. Exactly. We have people that join the platform and you can join for free. Yes, we're never going to let you not join for free because we want you to be able to explore it. But there really are no services on our platform that are designed to be paid that we give away for free. We give them at base market rate for what we think is below market value, but not free. And that's that's a big thing with us. I think a lot of people overthink free. And people have come to me, like people in my my marketing department are like, let's market this thing, let's do it for free. And I'm like, let's do it for 99 cents. And then it works better. It works better. I mean, 99 cents is almost better because you also don't want to bring down the value that you provide by offering it for free. It's Everything true. has value. If you put something for free, people may think it's crappy.
1: Yeah. Cause most like things crap, that are free are supposed to be crappy or not really exactly. good. And you get those free eBooks and it's like, this is telling me nothing. Yeah. It's just giving me surface level. There's nothing there. There's no substance. I've just wasted 20 minutes of my time reading this eBook that tells me something I could have watched in a YouTube video.
0: Put a little more value, charge 99 cents. Yeah. At least you get a dollar. Yeah. At least you're making some money for your work, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it doesn't devalue you at all. No, I,
1: I have to, I fully agree with that. And that's why, like, I love podcasting because it is free and it g- gives so much value. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you use it for, as a business, like you, you said, you uh, use Fridays as your podcast day. Mm-hmm. So you, you record with your artists or what, what is your podcast actually about? Yeah, so we
0: we have a podcast called Artist to Artist, and pretty much we, me and my director of content creation hop on every week, um, comes out every Wednesday, and we pretty much just talk about everything music industry. Um, So we bring on, you know, music industry executives, music tech executives, artists, producers. Uh, We had, you know, I think the one that came out a couple weeks ago, um, country artist Jimmy Allen, like we had his tour manager on it. Um, You know, just a bunch of really cool people. Anybody that is related to the music industry, we bring them on. We talk all things music. It's just really a chill conversation. Um, And yeah, it's a free system. Um, You know, that's free for us, but it's free, but provides value.
1: Yeah. Um, And it also can say... With with that, it's also uh, the top funnel, if you will, of bringing people, it brands you as the people who want to help people. So if you like what you're hearing on their thing, just imagine what my platform or the Artist Republic platform can do for you. So it it starts, it's that free ebook, but instead of it having no value or top level value, you're giving this like insider view, this peek behind the curtain for all these independent artists and people who listen.
0: And I agree with that. And that's where I'll fix it. You can't degrade content marketing with making it free. You can degrade things that are supposed to be paid by making them free. Um, Content marketing, always make it free. Blog posts, PR, all that stuff. That stuff is free, it's content marketing. You will own the industry with content marketing. Content marketing is a long-term play. Dive into content marketing, own it, invest in a content department, invest in a PR agent. That is the best thing you can do. But when you're selling a service, never offer that for free. That's, my, that's my advice. That, that is genius Unless, advice. Unless, where, this is where my caveat comes in. Ooh. Unless there is intrinsic value that you want from getting that thing for free. As long as it doesn't degrade like degrade your value. like don't sell an ebook quote unquote for free do 99 cents but at the same time if you're a videographer and you really want to shoot for this artist because you want to get backstage to talk to a different artist yes do that for free 150 um, percent So you know look at what you're going to be providing before you offer for free. The question is is does, Offering this for free degrade the value for continued sales. And doing the uh,
1: videography for a, a, a music group or whatever, it adds value to for your, because you can say, look, I've worked with this artist, look at this video I've done for them. Now, you don't have to tell them that you've done it for free mm-hmm. to, to other people. So other people are going to be like, holy shit, he's worked with X, Y, and Z, or she worked with X, Y, and Z. But
0: in reality, you got backstage passes. <laughs> people, have, people have no idea you did that for free. That does not degrade your value. Nope. You put out an ad for free video samples, everyone knows you did it for free. They saw your ad. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing I can say is when you're diving into free stuff, definitely make sure you know where that free is taking you. Because we all know nothing in this world is free. You're getting no. something
1: free Yeah. And, and I think it goes back to what you did when you first started with the cryo cryo gun or cryo guns, the cryo cannons, you asked for backstage passes, the value of giving them that was not only you got backstage passes, the connections you made, which now pay huge for you now because you can get them on your podcast. And no one knows how you got them on your podcast, but because of your long-term connection of giving them a cryo thing that used to cost you 40 bucks to fill up, they're getting it for free. And now, yeah. and you got to see an amazing show and talk with these artists. Like you're one of them, you know, like, and it just keeps rolling and rolling and you get a better understanding of the industry. Yeah. Long-term exactly. game.
0: Exactly. I love it. <laughs> God.
1: This day has already been, I've gotten so much value from these podcasts already. I've done three (laughs) podcasts today and like each one back to back is just building up and I love it. This is what I love about podcasting and talking with these entrepreneurs. Like every entrepreneur gives you a different piece of a puzzle, Mm -hmm. different view of how to think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because we come from a more of a creative generation. I think our generation, you know, the millennial or Xennial or whatever you want to call it, the ones who grew up with the internet and tech were creative because we saw how powerful creativity is. So when we create these companies, we're looking at it creatively and not like the old school foundation, you know, like, okay, I need a brick and mortar, this and that. I'm like, no, we have the internet. We can do everything technically for free.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that, and that also comes in with, you know, what the simplest part of entrepreneurship is, which entrepreneurship is nothing but resource management. Um, It is continuously never having the resources you need and figuring out how to use the resources you have to get to a point where you need to get to then hopefully get the resources that you think you need. And then you get those resources and then realize they're not the resources you need. And now you need to get to another gate to get the resources you think you need. And then you find out they're not. And it's a continuous snowball of just resource management.
1: Yeah, just um, it, you have to be creative. Just like how you got your website on the twenty second of December, and then it's like this is not the website I needed, but yes. I thought it did. And then you're like, screw
0: it, let's go, let's go a coding session, let's do it. You'll Man. never have enough developers. You'll never have enough marketers. You'll never have enough ad spend. You'll never have enough office space. Uh, you can probably have enough office space. You can never thanks have thanks enough- to
1: COVID. There's enough office
0: space. <laughs> yeah, thanks to COVID, there's enough office space. Um, you can never have enough websites, you never know, blog posts, graphic design, employees, customer service reps, everything is always going to be more and more and more when you're running a company um, because you never have enough money. And when you have enough money, you'll never have enough resources because you won't, it won't all balance out. It never balances out. And then once it's balanced out, you've moved on, you've, you've stepped away. You're like, I'm uh, I'm done. Thank you. Yep. Now I'm it's time for the business administration students who move in management roles to then take over and just, you know, cash cow the company. And uh, you just sit there going, I did it. And then you yep. move on to your next project. You sit on a beach for about six months <laughs> and you go, Okay, I'm bored. Let's do it again. What can I what can I disrupt now?
1: <laughs> now I I have a question. As a podcaster, mm-hmm. Artist Republic work for me.
0: So that's been something we've been debating. Um, my answer is yes and no. We have a system that's coming out probably about four months that's designed for podcasters, but not how you think it is. Okay. is. Um, we're getting into the podcast game, but not getting into the podcast game. That's basically what I can say.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I won't push you on it because <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm tempted. This is going to come out probably around July, the episode. Uh, just letting you know. So probably you're going to be starting to roll it out or that by then, hopefully, if not.
0: Oh, by July. Okay. Let's, let's go through. Um, so (laughs) I think I'm trying to think of everything I can complete by July. Um, we have acquired the nuclear codes. Uh, (laughs) We have
1: have currently having the football is in our possession.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, We've all been vaccinated and COVID is gone. Yep. Let's see how. Let's see how that statement ages. Uh, well, I'm, I'm this, interested in seeing that. When this comes out in July, let's for all the audience members, please comment if yes. this aged well. We have. I'm going to put that quote vaccinated. at the beginning
1: of the episode. We have all been vaccinated by July for COVID. That's going to be the 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 hook point
0: for everybody. When to this listen. came out, we have all been vaccinated. I can hug my family. Cool. All right, we're gonna go with it. We're gonna go with it. We're gonna we're gonna see what happens. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh,
1: uh, so, I, you've answered so many questions already. I don't know where where <laughs> I want to go. Um, what As a was
0: podcast or I get that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh,
1: um, what is. One of those, the, what it was one of the hurdles that you've had that you've uh, were really happy that you crushed, that you didn't think you would be able to crush?
0: My first investor. Hmm. I left that meeting with a developer in the hospital, three developers that quit and literally one developer that was only a front end developer. I left that meeting. I called my brother on the way home and I said, no way, no, no way is this, is he coming in? No way. COVID hit the next week. I uh, made the smart decision when I was home because obviously I was still at school and uh, they sent us home for COVID for spring break. And uh, I made the smart decision to get DoorDash before everyone else did. And so here I am for three and a half weeks, DoorDashing my butt off to try and make money to literally pay my team. Cause I'm like, I'm out of money. I've drained all my money from my marketing company. I've asked my brothers for money. They have drained their money. I drained my friends, family and fools around. Like I'm done, I'm tapped. I gotta make money from somewhere this company is toast. I'm delivering a pizza from DoorDash. And this guy calls me and he's like, Nick, I'm in. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay hell yeah that same day i deleted the doordash app i said screw this i'm an entrepreneur i was like i'm never going back um and yeah um and it just it just went from there but that that was definitely one of the biggest hurdles i didn't think i was gonna make it past um i also i don't think this last hurdle was as big because we're definitely you know past that point but you know we had a, we had this funding round that we were doing in december and into january Um, And it was brutal. It it was absolutely brutal. I had to deal with COVID. I had to deal with people not wanting to take meetings because of the holidays and COVID. So people took extended holidays. Um, I had people saying that their money was tied up, like funds, literal funds being like, oh yeah, our money's tied up because of COVID. No, it's not. It's literally not. Um, And, you know, it was, it was tough. It was really tough. And I sat there right after new year's looking at our investor sheet and we had like out of 217 people i reached out to we had like 10 people left and i'm like (laughs) i don't know i called my coo my lead investor i'm like i don't know i i don't know what's gonna happen and uh we pretty much pulled a board meeting we're like this we've gotta lock this and we just went sicko mode for two weeks, um, it was all hands on deck. Every board member, every employee, every everything. And we ended up just coming out of that two weeks with, with closing the round. And it was just like, we got to get creative. Um, you know, a lot of my investors were in the investment game in, you know, 97 to 2008 and eight, and they're leaders, you know, my, my lead investor, you know, his first investment was eBay. Um, you know, these are, these are big guys. But between 2008 and 2021, investment rounds have changed. You know, a seed round in 2008 used to be 500,000. A seed round now is up to 2 million. Um, Series A's in 2008 would be a million or 2 million. Now they're approaching 14 million for a Series A. It's insane. Um, And so what you're starting to see is people doing friends, family, and fools, pre-seed, seed, bridge round, Series A, when before it was like, Friends, family, and fools round, seed round, series A, series B, series C. There's so many more rounds in now um, because the rounds are getting massive. And so when we're approaching series A investors as pretty much a seed company because we already closed a seed, they're like, why are you talking to me? Um, you know, we're trying out here to raise, you know, two or three million. And they're like, dude, our minimum check size is six. And you're like, I'll gladly take that. <laughs> Listen, I'll take six, Um, but you know, they don't, they don't want to give it. And it's, it's, it was tough. It was definitely tough. So I think, I think those are the two hurdles. Um, You know, investments have always been a tough spot for me because that's just not me. That's not your real dude. I run, yeah, I run, I run the company. You know, I've never ran an investment run company besides this company. Um, Every other company I've ran has been bootstrapped. I'm a bootstrapper at heart. Um, you know, when, when stuff hits the fan, I'm the kind of guy to just get down and dirty and work 24 hours until it's fixed. And so, yeah, investment is a whole new thing for me.
1: Are you enjoying being, uh, going from being bootstrapped to, uh, an investment company or a company that's being invested in?
0: It has its pros and cons. Okay. I don't, it has the same level of stress with money. Because one company, you don't have enough money. The other company, you have money, but it's not enough. And it was well, never enough. Um, and it ain't limitless. And the thing about a bootstrap company is you can predict, you can look, okay, if I sell a hundred t-shirts today and then tomorrow I sell 101 and 102, you can predict your growth. Now with, an investment run company, I predict the growth charts, but there's a chart that a lot of people never knew existed, which is what I call your investment utilization document. How much time do you have left until you die? How many months do you have? On- oh, I'm th- I, I thought you were talking about no. me personally. I'm like, no. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I, no. whoa, That's a heavy <laughs> question for this podcast. No, how many months do you have until you die? Like as in your company? That's, that's this document is you look at, okay, if I raise a million dollars and we, this is our budget, I have until December. And so you sit there now every day going, I'm one day closer to my company dying. If I don't get my stuff together, if I don't hit this goal, if I don't hit this, it's not like a bootstrap company where you can just cut stuff and you can add stuff and you, you can just hop in. I can't just go into the marketplace and hand sell 80,000 artists. You know, it's, it's a totally different world. Um, and there's different players. You know, when I make decisions, I have to talk to a board. I have to talk to investors. I have investors calling me, asking me, hey, what's up? How's my money doing? Um, you know, it's, it's a totally different world. Um, it's a ri- it's, I think it's a lot riskier. I think you're dealing with a lot more stuff. Um, it's easier in the sense of mobility. You can be more agile. So like if I need six developers to get something done, then I put that in an investment round budget. And I say, this is what I'm raising money for. And this is what I'm going to do. You don't do that in, when you're bootstrapping. You hire when you have the ability to hire. So I wouldn't say I like one more than the other. Um, I like the grittiness of bootstrapping, but I think I still bring that to this. Um, but it's a different level of stress. It's a different level of keeping you awake at night.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, yeah. knowing that you have you
0: have people going, "Where's my money, Nick? I want my yeah. return on my investment, Nick." Yeah, I can. But live. yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is that the the first thing I brought up is the inverse. Instead of not having money, having money, and knowing that your money is going to run out. That's the big one for me, is when you sit there and look at your budget every day and go, am I overspending? Or when you sit there and go, I blew through money last month. That's gonna impact December. Now, December, you know, we're gonna run out of money two weeks before the end of December. So it means we need to close a funding round you know, prior to that. And that I think is the biggest part of it. That's the big difference between bootstrapping and getting funding is Either way, you're going to have money problems. Either way, you're going to have stress with money, it's just a different type of stress.
1: Okay. And for you, do you think your uh, your bootstrapping helps you in this instant with uh, the the fund fund run company?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm I like to get down and dirty, and I'm always going to you know I my bootstrapping background has taught me that throwing money at a problem doesn't solve a problem. It just creates more problems. Yeah. Um, because then you solved the problem temporarily, but now you're out of money. And now you can't solve any more problems because you don't have money. Um, So I I think the bootstrapping background has helped me a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing it helps me with is getting creative. Um, Bootstrapping is kind of what I would consider the ground game. And when you're in investments, you're really dealing with the air game. Um, And I think the nice thing with us is I'm in a constant battle with myself between air game and ground game um, efficiencies and adding money um, and because of that I think I get different results than other people would because I look at things a lot differently you know should we add another developer or is it just that our development process is screwed up? should we add another customer service rep or is or is there a service that we can buy for 10 bucks a month? that can help automate that. Um, are we actually running this the most efficient way possible? I think bootstrapping teaches you efficiencies and yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that because I think more and more we're, we're coming a generation or a, a society of efficiencies. We've seen what efficiencies done in other industries and we're like, okay, how can we bring those efficiencies into our daily life? Like before, you know, be home before the, the the lights come on, you know, like that's how old I am. I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> when the lights are on outside, you know, you have to come home and now it's like, well, no, I can, we have the efficiency of a cell phone that our parents can track us anywhere. You know, kids nowadays, my parents, hopefully my parents don't track me because that'd be awkward. <laughs> 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 Phil, why were you at the strip club? No questions. We don't ask that question. Uh, but, but it, it is true. Like it's, everything's becoming more and more efficient and that's, I think, Beneficial to entrepreneurs because before entrepreneurs didn't have those like didn't have a ten dollar calendarly link they could use to schedule meetings. Yeah, you know? and so, now
0: go ahead. I well, I'm gonna put po- I'm gonna poke on that um, because I think as much as we've gotten more efficient, we've also gotten more used to having resources. Um, and I think the biggest blamer of that, I love this show, but the biggest blamer of that is shark tank, I, I have a loathe relationship with shark tank. I love shark tank. Yeah, I don't like it at the same time. Um, and one of the reasons ladies- watching it, but you don't like what I they're doing. Love, on I really <laughs> love watching it. Oh, it's so funny to me. It's so bad. I'm it's bad. Um, but have you yeah, ever watched
1: I'm- the British version? I have not. So shark tank is a spinoff or is a copy of Dragon's Den which is starting I believe in Britain but Canada has it that's where uh, Robert Hurjevak and Mr. Wonderful himself Kevin O'Leary started they started on the Canadian uh, version of Shark Tank uh, so yeah so sorry. then they I think it was both of them sold it to the states to uh, I think who 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 produces it anyways hey. uh, the guy who does all the reality TV shows Mark Burnett I think produces okay. Sh- Shark tank. I think they sold it to him, got that. Then they got onto the show and then they, everything else. And yeah.
0: That's interesting. And so, well, so going off of that is Mark Cuban said it in one episode, he said, and he was like season six, season seven. He was like, due to shark tank, people think they need investors when they don't. Um, And they need more money when they don't. He's like, you think you're coming to Shark Tank. You're like, my company needs a million dollars. Would you go to a bank and take a loan for a million dollars? That's the question. If you wouldn't take a loan for a million dollars, then no, your business does not need a million dollars. You're overfunding. And people are very used to overfunding because of the world they see, because of articles of tech companies raising billions of dollars. Um, because of Shark Tank, because of also the simplicities of our society, because of efficiencies. You can access any post on the internet in the click of a button, any resource you want is on your phone. But entrepreneurship, you don't have those resources. There is no rule book. There's no syllabus. There is no nothing. There's no No how-to guide. There's nothing for us. So as much as we've gotten efficient, I think entrepreneurship to some extent has actually gotten harder um because not because of the lack of resources for entrepreneurs um but because of the overabundance of resources that have changed people's mindsets around how to actually be an entrepreneur um you don't need to get an investor for most things bootstrap it i bootstrapped artist public for pretty much the majority of its life <laughs> technically it hasn't been around for that long so technically i think the majority of its life has been bootstrapped yeah um and every other company since then, I bootstrapped it. And you know what's great about bootstrapping versus an investor? When it works, you own it all. Mm-hmm. You call the shots. They can't sell it out from under you. They can't fire you. Here's here. I mean, here's an open thing for everybody. This always blows everyone's mind. I can get fired from my own company. You know, people don't realize that. When you bring on an investor, you, the founder, can be fired from your own company. Um, that's a That's a scary yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's that's the reality. If you put together a right board, no, you won't. Steve Jobs was fired from his own company. Yeah.
1: Then he and then they
0: tanked, and then they were like, Hey, come back. Can you come Um, back, please? (laughs) But yeah, I think people don't realize that because of where we are, you know, as an entrepreneurial world where everyone's an entrepreneur and everyone is seeing entrepreneurs and they see success. They don't see what's behind it. Um, you know, most people probably won't see the nine years that I bootstrapped companies, they're going to see this. They're going to see artists public. Um, and I think people need to, anyone listening, you know, as a entrepreneur, I think you really need to, you know, remember that and consider that. Um, because I, yeah, I, I do think it's gotten interesting. I think as much as it's efficient nowadays, it's also not.
1: Yeah. And uh, it reminds like you, you bring up Mark Cuban and Steve jobs. I'm reminded of uh, Richard Branson <clears throat> of Virgin who literally bought back his company because he couldn't do the things he wanted. Yeah. He literally bought all the shares back off the market because the board of directors that he, he had was infuriating him. He's like, I can't do what I want. Yeah. And now he does whatever he wants. And he, I love, I read his book, um, his, uh, his autobiography and his first foray into the entrepreneurial space was a magazine for music. And the way he got his first, Ad was actually using uh, the operator to call these companies. He literally would call the operator, have them contact. So it sounds like it's a hi, uh, this do we? I have Mr. Richard Branson on the line for Doug, whoever. Oh, yes, one moment, please put him through because it sounds like it's his uh, secretary, but it was really the operator. And he, like, he had no money, but he, like you, he bootstrapped his way to getting the magazines and using the resources. So, yeah. It's a, it's an amazing thing. And I, I love how you, you poked on for entrepreneurs. Like it's, it, it, there's too much resources. You better be, learn to bootstrap
0: and then use the resources. Yeah. I like think about how many incubators there are yeah. in this world. There's so many, there's so many resources, but I think you need to be ready. Like one of my buddy, one of my buddies came to me once in the beginning of my life cycle. And in one of my earlier companies was like, Hey, I want to open up a business. Can you invest like 10 grand in it? Like, that's all I need. And I came back to him and I said, I will invest 10 grand in your company when you bootstrap it for no, month, no money for six months. He never started it. Hmm. And that's how I knew. Because if you can't figure out how to do it without resources, you'll never be able to do it with the resources. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of resources. And don't overvalue, like, don't jump to those resources. Figure out how to do it first. Figure out how to get uncomfortable. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations as a founder. Um, because sooner or later, you're going to be in an uncomfortable situation. Um, you know, if artists, I know exactly what I would do. If Artist Public lost all of its money tomorrow, I know what I would do. You know, I already have that plan. I've thought through that plan 10,000 times. But it's not hard for me to fathom that because that's where I came from. If I got to move back to my mom's house, that's cool with me. You know what I mean? Like I'm totally fine with that. I know how to get the job done um, because I never came from, you know, having resources. So if I have no resources, I'm good to go. I, I can still figure it out. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of like, my overarching, that's my advice for the day. I don't think I've ever talked about that on a podcast before. So that that's exclusive over here. I love that. I love that <laughs> exclusivity, <laughs> the exclusive content, my advice. Um, but yeah, no, that's, I'm a big believer in that. Um, you know, get yourself uncomfortable, work, work, work an extra hour a day, push yourself just that much harder, question yourself, take another sales call, um, see what happens. I love it. I really
1: love it. It's, it's true. You have to be uncomfortable. Like I'm slowly starting my business of podcast producing, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have no resources. I'm a one man team doing everything, you know, and I'm learning a lot and it's, it's great. It's uh, something that I think a lot of people need to learn to do. If you can't build a business with no money, then you can't build a business with money.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm 180% on board with you. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Nick, I want to thank you. This is one of the longer podcasts I've done and I'm literally going to be loving re-listening to this and putting because <laughs> there's so much gold. Oh um, yeah. Uh, I want to thank you for being on. I'm going to give you five minutes. Uh, I want you to pitch Artist Republic, how we can find you, how we can yeah. join if you're an artist. So give me one second to get off screen here. Give you the whole... Uh, screen go right ahead nick it's all yours We have the
0: whole screen artist Republic, first 360 platform for the independent music artists um if you want to find it, it is artist republic with a k dot com um if you want to find us on any social media it is at artist with a k dot com uh no sorry not dot com on socials just artist republic with a k um don't search artist public with a c we own those domains it's not us um there's nothing there you won't find anything artist public with a K because K is cooler. Um, <laughs> if you want to find me, you can search me on LinkedIn. Um, you'll probably see my name in the description. I'm not even going to spell that for you. Cause that would take more than five minutes. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's about it
1: guys. Um, How great was that? I really enjoyed speaking with Nick and learning about Artist Republic, also his journey and entrepreneurship, and this is uh, one of the big reasons why I uh, do this show, is learning all these great uh, stories and meeting all these amazing people. Um, I hope you do check out his uh, company. It is amazing if you are an artist, it is a place for you guys to grow and look we got i'm looking for people to support my friends just like if you know i have my podcast the feel better show which i host with uh dj overflow a good friend of mine a dj in the local montreal area and i did throw him a bone with this and i know i have a lot of other musical talented friends so this is an opportunity for you guys to check out uh, artist republic it is an amazing thing i'm following them on linkedin and uh, as you should as well uh ladies and gentlemen again thank you so much for listening sharing this episode if you enjoyed it and i will listen to you next time when we have pablo bastone another amazing interview for you coming up tomorrow have a great night ladies and gentlemen and remember to always invest in yourself